0: You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> well, good m- evening. I almost said morning. It hasn't been like that for a while. Good evening. Whoa, that is a hot mic. All right. Hey, my name is Casey. Um, I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And if you're with us for the first time, you showed up on a great uh, Sunday to show up. At the end of it, well, I mean, thank you. Yeah, one person. Okay. Uh, I mean, at the end of it, we we have testimonies and and baptisms. And so you're going to hear from people how Jesus found them. And from some of them, you're going to hear how Jesus found them in, like, the lows. Like, the difficult moments of their life when, like, all the lovers of their life, all the things that they ran to, like, failed them. Uh, But you also are going to hear, like, testimony, Jesus also finds us sometimes in in the highs. Like, we try so many different things, and then we come and we find the people of God. And what we find there is this community, a a lasting community that that can have division. But we have the process of reconciliation because we have been given the ministry of reconciliation if God can be reconciled to us. If God can be reconciled to us, we can be reconciled with one another. And so if you're with us for the first time, or if this is like the hundredth, millionth time, we get to celebrate new life in Christ. Whether that came from a moment of great high or came from a moment of of great low. And man, today, like I have had great highs and great lows, a, a great high. I had this moment, I witnessed a miracle. An incredible miracle. I mulched my leaves in high wind. I passed the lawnmower over them, and they disappeared. Like, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart has imagined what God has prepared for me today. It was incredible. I got my kids. I was like, hey, you guys have got this seeds. I showed them how it just disappeared. And they were like, huh, cool. And I was like, No! This is a miracle of God before us. It just went away. And so, I mean, I don't know. it probably ended up in my neighbor's yard, but I mean, that's his problem now. <clears throat> but, but I also had extreme lows. Like, in a extreme moment, I came out. I witnessed two things. First off, we still had a big leaf pile in the backyard. My kids wanted to keep it. Like, can we jump in it? And I just, like, my mower cannot handle that. I mean, Lord, I don't want to not believe in you, but this ain't going to work. And so, like, this great low, I look out, and they are picking them up in their shirt, running across the yard to put it in the trampoline. And the pristine yard was pristine no more. It was like this great low. And then... As I left to come here, I noticed that all my neighbor's leaves had now blown into my yard. And so ultimately, like, it didn't last. Like, it it, it didn't last. Like, I mean, sometimes we find ourselves in a moment when, like, relationships are good. You seem proficient at work. Like, you seem to understand what you're doing. You might even like work. Like, you wouldn't tell your boss, but you're like, I might actually do this for free. Don't say that out loud. Like this moment when it seems like things line up together and it doesn't last. It, it, it doesn't last. Like, like, this is actually what we see if we're looking at the Bible as a whole. Like, if you're looking at the Bible as a whole, you might look at it like this. You might read through the Psalms, and what you see in the Psalms is you see what we read here. You see lamenting. You see brokenness. You see questioning of God. How could you? Why would you let this happen? Why do my enemies keep prospering, and I'm trying to love you, and I keep falling apart? Like, you have moments like that, and the, whoa. <laughs> I think I could handle this room without that, and like you have moments like that, and then what you see in the Psalms is it moves to things of praise, it moves to moments of like endearing with God, and you see great confessions. Like you see a high and a low, and that is actually what the believer's life is like, and what we have in Lamentations. What we have for us here is it is a low. Lamentations is a memorial. It's a memorial to the pain and confusion that that the Israelites felt after the destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah is giving words to what he sees and what he feels. He is lamenting. He is giving voice to the suffering and the struggles, the grief that he sees all around him, the thing that he feels in his soul. He is trying to put words to that limitations it it serves it serves us in many ways and we could say three ways first it serves like it's a protest like it's a protest to God it's where you stand up and you say like why does this suffering or this thing or this brokenness why does it exist why does it keep going why has it not ended it is a protest to God it is crying out why it's also a, a process The unsettling emotion of loss, grief, sadness, anger, whatever else you might fit, the unsettling of those emotions, like it is giving a place, it is giving a place to process that, that you can ask the question of, if God is good and he says he has a plan and that he says things like this, he will wipe away every tear. I think that means there is an aspect of God's grace that is sufficient for every brokenness in this world. That's true. Why don't I feel that? Like, it, it's putting a process into that. You know, in, in a book, um, The Voice of the Heart, Chip Dodd, he says this, in talking about a process of these kind of heart emotions, loss, grief, sadness, anger. He says this, feelings are the voice of the heart. You will not have fullness until you are adept in hearing or experiencing all of them. When you are not aware of your feelings, your life is lived incompletely. Whenever you don't feel, you are blocked from living life to the fullest. Whenever you lack awareness of your heart, no room exists for God. Whenever you lack awareness of what's going on in your soul, it's saying no room exists for God because if he came to heal things, if you're acting like it's not a problem or you won't sit in it, like you're not asking him to step in. He goes on, he says, answers are not always easily found or are rarely painless when we learn them. But by avoiding these issues, we rob ourselves of the heart's true potential for joy. Instead of facing truth, we seek counterfeit solutions, trying to avoid the neediness and vulnerability so often found with the truth. He goes on in that chapter, and he's going to say, what we actually want to do is we just want to escape the pain, or we want to escape the confusion, or escape the loss of control. And so he says, we run after things. We run after sex and drugs and whatever, busyness or success or whatever. And it was written in 1999, so if it was more contemporary, he would say Netflix, or he would say social media. He would say more. We run after other things just to drown it out. But here's the thing, just because you drown out, it doesn't stop, it doesn't go away, and then you're not inviting God into it. And so lamenting is naming what was lost, it's questioning why, it's acknowledging, like, my contributed sin, it's a process, and if done biblically, it will lead into fuller, healthier humanity. A breadth of what we see like in the Psalms. Like the psalmist has a way to experience more joy than we regularly experience. The psalmist also has a way to experience far more grief. Like God opens up the life in the same way that Jesus, fully human, fully God. He experienced a wider breadth of humanity than we want to dare to dream. Lamentations. It's an invitation into that. It's an invitation, it's, it's, a, it's a process, it's a protest, it also creates a place to give words to the confusion that I have. Suffering causes us to doubt God's character, his goodness, his promises, and so lamenting, it's a lost art. It, it, it's, it's something that we as, as, as Western people, like we don't do very well. Like when it comes to pain, like our question is, how do I get rid of it? Other cultures are actually much more suited. They see benefits from pain of actually what, whether they're Christians or not, of what we see in the Bible that these trials produce a steadfastness. In our culture, we're like scared to step into it. We're scared to name it. Last week, Jeremiah, he looked at Jerusalem from the outside looking in. He named the sorrows in verses 1 through 7, and then he confessed sins that contributed to those sorrows in verses 8 through 11. This week, in verses 12 through 22, we see a different perspective. We see a perspective that might be all too close to you. We see the perspective of being in the suffering and looking out. And I just want to point out two major things. And so two main points here. We're going to look at this, the feel of suffering. There are five pictures that he gives us of what suffering feels like, the feel of suffering. And then the second thing we're going to look at in verses 18 through 22 is the leveling of suffering, where it places me. And so look at this. First, the feel of suffering. Jeremiah gives us a very descriptive feel of personal experience of suffering. Like we see it. Like I think you will relate to at least one of these. Like I think at least one of these feels you'll say, man, that was a time or this is a time that I felt that. And like if all of this is like, no man, I've never felt that. Just keep living. That's great. Like, if you're like, no, man, my life hasn't had any suffering. This is great. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to try to talk you out of it. I'm not going to be like, hey, feel the grunge. Man. I'm not going to do it. Keep living. But I will tell you this. I think one of the most important things a pastor can do or help for his people, like, like, one thing that we talk about a lot, because one thing that the Bible talks about a lot is how do we suffer well? In in, in this world that's broken, even though Jesus has come, and if you're a believer in Christ, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never leave you alone. You have incredible promises that are setting you up, like promises that address every tear that has been shed, Revelation 21.4. He's promised that sin, Satan, and death, they have no hold on you. They will not have the last word. That is all over the scriptures. And yet the theological wrestle is we live in this already but not yet tension where relationships still break selfishness still reigns death still happens sickness still ravages and so pastorally i think one of the things that we can do best is like what does it look like to suffer while i still have hope in jesus and his goodness and so if you're not feeling any of these, you can write them down and be like, not me, and throw them away. Or you don't have to write them down. You don't have to take notes. There is no, well, I mean, there is no test. Okay, there's no test. But here, here we go. Like, I think you still need to look. And so this is real fast. What we see is Jeremiah says that suffering feels like a fire that consumes other joys. It feels like a net that traps. It feels like a sickness that weakens. It's like a yoke that enslaves. And it is a weight that tramples. And so the first one's actually the longest. Suffering is a fire that burns other joys. Look at verse 12. It says this, Is it nothing to you, all who pass by, look and see if there is any sorrow like mine? which is brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. Verse 13, from on high he sent fire, that's the picture, into my bones, he made it to descend. And so right there he says, suffering is like a fire, it consumes things around it, like suffering and loss, that's what it does, like it doesn't stay just in the lane, like it gets out of that category that the suffering was produced in and it starts to burn up the things around it like you actually know this like if you're if you're struggling to perform well at work like you are stressed and you're like man this is never going to work out the rules keep changing i don't know what's going to happen i don't feel confident like it doesn't just stay there when you clock in like what you find is when you go home Or when you're around others, like, what you find is an inability to really engage in the moment. Or what you find is a real lack of patience. Like, your kids want to play, but you just need to focus and control. And so you snap out. Like, what you find is it doesn't stay there. It starts to burn outside of the boundaries. It starts to affect other things. Like, it doesn't just stay there. It's like a fire. Or, how about like if you lose a relationship to to conflict or disagreement? Like, you lose that relationship, and all of a sudden, like, it starts to affect other relationships. Like, you start to have this kind of thought, like, man, if they wouldn't endure with me, why would this person? If they left me for that, I'm just waiting for someone else to leave me or to abandon me. If they didn't love me enough, then why would this person love me? It starts to break into other relationships, it doesn't stay in the category. And you start to find yourself having these feelings. Like when you see pointers of why the other person left. You start to freak out. You want to run. You want to hide. Or you want to push them away before they have a chance to push you away. It doesn't just stay in the category. Or or you lose a loved one to sickness and death. Like does it not steal from all other joys? Like, Have you experienced like fearing Going to sleep slowly because you're left to your thoughts? Or, or waking up slowly because it's like you remember the loss all over again? Like it doesn't just stay at the funeral home, it follows you. And you have these moments of like, man, I forgot about it, and now I remember. I'll never hear him laugh like that again. It has this burning effect it doesn't stay in the boundaries of where it is, it gets out it moves away like it doesn't stay it burns away all that it touches and he says suffering is like a fire that consumes other joy or, or he says next he says suffering it's like a net that traps look at verse 13 it goes on it says he spread a net for my feet He spread a net for my feet. And so suffering is like this entrapping net. Like you feel as though there is no escape. Haven't you heard people describe suffering or loss or sickness or abandonment? Like being underwater, desperate to come up for air. Like there's a struggle to even just move regularly. It's entrapping. Or or it goes on. And so we see this fire. We see this net. We also see like he describes it as a sickness that weakens. Look at the end of verse 13. He goes on, he says, he turned me back. He has left me stunned. And then here, faint, stunned and faint all day long. A weakness that embodies faint and weakness by sickness within. Have you ever experienced just the the lackadaisical glaze of life? Like, I I don't know, like, you just have this moment, you're like, I don't know how everyone else is able to participate in, I just can't get there. Like, so what, what we see is like a fire that burns, it doesn't stay in the category, it's a net that traps, it's a sickness that weakens, like, you avoid eye contact, like, you don't have the strength to engage in the moment, it burns, all that's around it, it's a net that traps, it's a sickness that steals your strength, and then it says, suffering is a yoke that enslaves, look at verse 14. It says, my transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hands they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. And so actually what happened, there's a subject change right here. Like he was just talking about God laying out suffering. And then he comes to a reckoning kind of like last week where he says this of, hey, I had some contributive sin that helped bring this about. And he says, what has happened is my sin has built a yoke that is now enslaving. It's saying things like this. I thought I was in control of that but now it's in control of me. I thought it was just sin that I was doing, but now it's sin that's doing me. Have you ever said anything like that? Have you ever felt like the things that you just thought you were doing were now entrapping and doing you? Like a fear, I can't put it down. Like the fear of I thought this was on a leash, but I can't keep it from consuming the loved ones around me. And so it's building, and then it finally says, so it, it's a burning. It burns what's around you. It doesn't stay in the category. It's a net. It traps. It's a sickness. It leaves me faint. I just can't participate. I can't get in. I just don't have enough for today. Like other people seem to be able to be in that conversation. I just can't handle it. Or it's an enslaving yoke. And then in verse 15, it says, it's a weight that tramples. Look at what it says. It says, The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden, trampling, the Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughters of Judah. Like Jeremiah says this, he says, The strength of the mighty men had failed. Like they didn't have enough To keep themselves from being trampled. And then it goes on and it says, and the precious daughters were being dashed to the ground. Like from the strongest to the most precious, the weight of their suffering was trampling. Like when you see the strongest people in your life crushed, what kind of uncertainty does that put in your soul? Or or, or when you see like the precious, like precious child, a precious child devastated, like how do you feel? How do you feel about life? How do you feel about God in that moment? How do you feel about the circumstances that are surrounding? Or when you are supposed to be the strong one and you are unable to bear the weight any longer, unable to rise to the occasion, what kind of desperation do you feel in your soul? Like, he's giving us a lot of feel on this. And I mean, I think there's probably at least one of those that you can relate to, but if, if it's not one of these, I am certain there's one more that you can relate. It wasn't a part of the first, like, hey, write these down and be done with the notes. But like, I am certain that you can feel this other one, because it's something that I hear over and over. It's something I feel too, but it's something I hear. It's like this, I'm always unseen or misunderstood. Look back at verse 12. Look at the opening. Look at this cry, it says, is it nothing to you, all who pass by, look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow? Like, do you hear the question that, like, does anyone see me? Like, does, does anyone understand what I'm facing or what's on me? Does anyone, can anyone relate to this? Like, this cry, it's so common, like, I feel like it's super intrinsic in our soul, and we're just left certain with something that's kind of crazy like we're left with this belief that if someone could see me and relate to me like things would be better And yet, like, if we actually think about that, like, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like, I mean, if someone was taken from you in death, being with someone who also suffered loss, like, it doesn't bring the loved one back, but yet there's something in our souls that says, if someone could feel what I feel, and if I could sit with them, and they could relate with me, something would change. Or, or, like, if you failed, and I mean, like, you failed, like, you really blew it. Like, isn't there something in your soul that just says, man, if I could just sit with someone who's also really blown it, who lost it, like, if I could just sit with them, I, I think I'll feel seen or related to. I think something will be better. I need someone to come from high to sit with me and to say, I understand. Or if, if you're chronically sick, Why is it that being with someone who suffered sickness, like you know it's not a cure, it doesn't make your sickness better, why is there a sense in us that I just need someone to relate like that? Why is it that if you lost a pregnancy, like why is it that I just need someone to sit with me and to hear like the same story and to see the same doubt in their eyes that I have in my eyes? Like there's something in us, even though it doesn't change our reality at all, like It says, is it nothing to you, all who pass by, look and see if there's any sorrow like mine. And then it picks up. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, it says it again, but it says it a little bit different. It cries out really specifically what the sufferer here, what Jeremiah is saying he needs. He says, for these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. One to revive my spirit. My children are desolate for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands. But there is none. There is none to comfort her. Twice it says, I need a comforter. I need someone to come comfort me. It says, the Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. In suffering, there's this cry for comfort, like we need someone to enter in. Jeremiah gives us a personal inside look, looking inside looking out description of suffering that is enveloping him and his people. He's just putting it to words. He doesn't just ignore it. He doesn't just try to walk. I'm <clears throat> Okay, sorry. <clears throat> Got choked up. <clears throat> it's not COVID. He doesn't try to just walk away from it. He gives words to it. And then it goes on, and so like, can anyone see me? And so that was the feel of suffering. Now the question is like, next we see the leveling of suffering. And so look, in verse 18, look what it says. Like the leveling, like let's get on the base level. Like what does it bring me to? It says this, and the Lord is right. Right? You see, when you, when you level with someone, like it's like, hey, no more excuses, no more saying, oh, anyone in my you know, perspective or my situation would think that. And no more of that. It's like, all of a sudden he says, the Lord is right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you people and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. Like Jeremiah levels. Like there's this moment where he says, I have sinned. We have sinned. God is not wrong. We are guilty. Like it's important for us to slow down. Like, just for a minute, because there is a danger here. Like, there's a danger to see any suffering in someone's life and to be like Job's friends and to come around and be like, man, you must have done something wrong, just tell me. I mean, there's a danger in that. And so, like, really fast, like, just to step back and be a little symptomatic, like, three reasons for suffering. First off, a broken world. Like, there is pain and suffering that is caused by this world is now fractured. It is broken, Because we humanity reject God, death entered in and now there's sickness, it happens. There's floods and there's droughts, there's wildfires, there's 2020. I mean, things happen. Like there's just a brokenness. Cancer now exists. Sometimes the suffering that we have is just because we live in a broken world and we're in between the already and not yet reality of what God has for us. And so if we were looking at the 23rd Psalm, like we would see things, like now God has to make us lie down by green pastures. We look at him, we're like, no man, those are the Flint Hills, I gotta get out of here. Like we look at him, and we're like, that's not a safe place for me. And God says, no it is, you have to lay down. Sometimes he makes us sit by still waters because we're like, man, that's just not the excitement I crave. And he says, you need healing for your soul. And sometimes he leads us in the valley of the shadow of death. Like, it's all there. And so there's a brokenness in this world that God now shepherds us through. And so sometimes the suffering is not, it's not your fault. It's not anyone else's fault. It's just a broken world. Sometimes it's the sins of others. You see, there, there is suffering. Like, we can cause one another pain and suffering. It's caused by the sin of others enacted upon other people. Like, people take, people kill, people covet, people exploit. There is a selfish bent in all of us that if you haven't seen it and you can't relate to it, you just give it time. I mean, if Paul can write Romans 7 and if he can ask questions like, man, why do I do what I don't want to do? Why is it that when I do good, evil is... If Paul can write that, I'm pretty sure you could write something better, more specific. And so like, there is the sins of others and then there's what we see here the consequence of sin there's also pain and suffering caused by what i do before holy god and like i just want you to hear this god is not a sadist loving to inflict punishment upon us the nature of god is that he loves goodness and therefore he stands against evil and sometimes there's a leveling that has to happen and we have to say God, you're right. You're, you're just right. Stin steals joy and leaves destruction and regret. And Jeremiah's confession is just, God, you're right. But he's also saying this man, the cost is too much. I'm too trapped, it's too heavy, I'm being trodden against, it's burning outside of the boundaries, it's taking too much from the strong men that we have to our precious daughters, it's taking too much. And so it's like, who can save me from it? And so look at verse 19. In verse 19, he starts off and he says, I know who can't. So he says this, I call to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perish in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. It says, look, O Lord, for I am distressed. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. He says, who who can help me? He says, I called out to my lovers. And this is a picture of of idolatry. I called out to what used to work for me. You know, I used to be able to count on my witty personality or I used to be able to count on my intelligence or I used to be able to count on on the, the money or the power that I had amassed. I call out to my lovers. I call out to the things that I used to devote my life to. They used to work as far as I could see. But they're not working now. And there's a leveling to say, that success, it actually didn't fix me. That boy or girl, it actually didn't fix me. Like that, that, that situation, it actually, that accomplishment, it didn't actually fix me. There's a leveling. And then it goes on to say this, verse 21. They, my lovers, heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doings come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions for my groans are many and my heart is faint. Now if I was going to say kind of what's being said here it's like this. God you're right but I see other people who've done the same thing and they're just fine. And so I you know when we look at this like again the isolation and loneliness of suffering the groans like there's just these questions like just be honest like are you faint like, have you ever been faint? Like, I don't have strength for this. Or, or have you ever thought, like, can anyone see me? Can anyone relate to me? Can, can anyone comfort me? Is there anyone who will step down from high and come to me? Like, can anyone help me carry this unbearable yoke? And I think the gospel has a promise for every single question. Like, can anyone see me? The incarnation of God says that God can see you. Philippians tells that God put on flesh. He came from high. He entered in and he put on the person to Jesus because he saw the suffering and the brokenness. He didn't have to, but he came and he entered in. Can anyone see you? God can see you. Jesus came in. So he wouldn't just see suffering from the outside. He entered into suffering to be with you on the inside. Question two, can anyone relate? Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus can relate. It says this It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. And then the next word says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. He's not unaware. Can can he relate? He's been tempted in every way, yet it is without sin. And then he offers a throne of grace. It doesn't say the, the throne of punishment. It says we can now approach, and sympathetically he invites us in. And so can anyone relate? Can anyone see? Can anyone comfort me? 1 Corinthians 1. In verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort." who comforts us in all of our afflictions. It says all. I don't know what the affliction is. I don't know what the suffering is. I don't know what maybe your sin is now amassed and what that yoke looks like. But this says that God has a comfort for every one of those things. And then the last question, can anyone help me bear this unbearable load? Jesus said he would trade you. Matthew 11, listen, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does your life feel heavy? Do you need rest? Have the sins of your heart entangled your life into an enslaving yoke? This is asking, will you look at Jesus and trade him your yoke of sin for his yoke that he says is gentle and light? The coming death and resurrection of Jesus says that God longs to enter into your life with his gentle but strong hands. He didn't say that all the pain would vanish. He didn't say that it wouldn't hurt. Man, sometimes like the entanglements of our sin, we're like an animal that's caged up in barbed wire. And every time we move to try to maneuver around it, the barbs drive deeper. And for God to untangle that, there is a steadying that he has to do and it sometimes Hurts. your sin. It goes deeper than you know, but the good news is the love of God goes even deeper. So what we see is we see first like the feel of suffering and then we see a leveling where it just says, man, I called on my lovers. They didn't help. The Lord is right. And then just this is the last question. Back to that picture of being like entangled in barbed wire and you see these hands that you may not recognize and they start to try to untangle you but as they're untangling you it hurts see these are not the hands of a god who never entered in these are the hands of jesus who have scars upon them because he entered in do those scars warrant your trust let me pray for us Uh, Father Lord as we turn and we think through uh, to communion we just see the elements before us we see what they are and Lord in listing through sufferings and hurt the danger is that we don't list it deep enough and to say that God can enter it in is not to say that it's not dark or hard and so Father Lord just as we Go through these next songs and as we hear testimonies, I pray that you continue to work. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Communion points to those scars. The the bread reminds us that his body was broken, and the wine reminds us that his blood was was spilled. So if you're a believer and you trust Jesus, if you're not sure about that and you're just trying to kick the tires on this to see what we, you know, we crazy Christians do. Man, we just ask you to respect this. On the way in, you were able to grab um, a little communion pack, and it's just a way to remind us that, you know, the spirituality that we walk in is not just spiritual. It was a physical death and a physical resurrection to give hope for our physical, real problems. And so the way that we do it here, and the way, or we do it now, is we take the wafer and the bread, and we remember this. Like, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. And then we take the cup and remember that this is the blood of Jesus poured out for your life. And we do it to remember what was in the past, but we do it to beckon what Jesus said he'll do in the future. Stand up and join us.